On this episode of The Playbook, I have Xander Fryer, CEO of High Impact Coaching and the host of Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast and author. And we're going to talk about becoming best friends with your mistakes. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. Man, do I have an entrepreneur here, Xander Fryer. He is a high-impact coaching CEO, founder of that, but also a host of a podcast. Not that everybody's yes, not a host of a podcast, but a real <laughs> podcast, Shit You Don't Learn in College podcast, and an author. So you are well on your way. Uh, I wish I would have had the clarity, balance, and focus that you have in your 30s. I was too busy uh, partying and trying to lose everything that I already had gained. Um, you know, to get there, though, at a young age, certain things have to happen. I talk yeah. about the hand on the fire has to happen. Uh, life has to slap you and say, hey, this isn't the way you're supposed to go. And you have to have the mindset, the heart set, and the conscious activity in order to effectuate uh, being in a better place, a better situation, and not quitting. For you, what was the pivotal you know, time when you were young that said, hey man, you're going the wrong way. There's something bigger and better for you. Yeah, it was actually, you know, I, I love that you brought that up um, because for me, it was actually losing my best friend. Um, so my best friend committed suicide about four and a half, five years ago. Um, How old was he? He was same age, same age as me. I'd known so him since I was, yeah, he was uh, so late twenties at the time. I'd known him since I was uh, eight years old, you know, best friends through elementary school, middle school, high school. Uh, he introduced me to my first girlfriend. Uh, after that, I joined uh, Air Force. He joined the Marines. He suffered from trauma and PTSD for his entire life, even before the Marines, um, but took his life about five years ago. Uh, and that was a moment for me when you know I really realized, I think there's a moment when you, when you get comfortable with your own mortality that you actually start to live. Right. Yeah. It wasn't till the moment that I realized like, you know, my best friend is gone and he's never coming back that one day I would be gone and never come back. Right. And, and that amount of time that you spend on this earth between now and then, that's your choice, how you're going to spend it. Do you think it diminishes the motivation and inspiration if you believe you can come back? Uh, no, because I actually do believe I can come back. I actually I believe in karma. I believe in past lives. Um, I, did too, I did, too. So, yeah. So sure. so. But it is interesting for me, regardless of how much I believe that, I, I still feel a need, a, a purpose of spending the time that I am on this earth in this life, uh, you know, whatever it might be, I still feel a need to be more purposeful with it. When you really go through that visceral experience of losing someone, no matter how spiritual you are, no matter how strong that belief is, it'll, it'll change you. The entire mission that I'm on to empower yeah. a billion people is based off of my 12 year old daughter had a friend who committed suicide at 12. Yeah. And out of all the things that I can process and rationalize, I just couldn't figure it out. And then I saw by paying more attention to and giving more intention to why somebody would take their own life uh, and how you get that mindset, heart set and, and hand set in order to effectuate taking your own life. Yeah. What have you found? Because that is a pivotal point in your life. What have you found about the reality of we get a choice every day to either believe we're happy, healthy, wealthy, and worthy uh, and figure out what we're doing to interfere with it or we're in search of what we already have. Yeah, it's 
you know, it's tough because I think, you know, kind of like you mentioned, I think many of us already have this, right? AJ, AJ was one of the brightest, one of the most loving, one of the most energetic people that I've ever met in my entire life. He was my first mentor, right? I'm a, I'm a coach now. I coach coaches and he was my first coach, you know, growing up. He was the one that always led me. He was the one that always mentored me when I was having tough times and he couldn't see it in himself. Right. And I could never figure out why I could never understand why someone with so much to give to this world, uh, you know, couldn't see it in themselves. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason for, for my book shit, you don't learn in college that is coming out, uh, next month was what I realized is so much of societal programming, so much of, uh, our upbringings, you know, the school system, everything is trying to take us as creative beings as creative individuals and souls trying to express ourselves and, and be the best, highest version of ourselves and trying to put it into a cookie cutter box, trying to put it into, you know, turn you into a cog in the wheel. And because of that, because he never fit in and it wasn't because he wasn't worthy, it was actually because he may have been more worthy than everybody else. Right. But he didn't fit into this cookie cutter, you know, gear. And that created a lot of problems for him throughout his life. And now a lot of people don't fit into a cookie cutter because yeah. the cookie cutter is changing so quickly yeah. because of technology, pandemic, and other things. Um, you're one of the best business coaches, uh, and you know I've been coaching for a long time. Uh, and one of the things I find I, I appreciate that by the way, <laughs> I think you're the best business coach. So well, I, I hear I, that from you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. And but you know I wasn't coaching when I was 33. Yeah. And not that I hadn't already made over a hundred million dollars, not that I didn't know a lot about business, but I didn't even know what a business coach was. Yeah. And I had been coaching people that were friends, family, et cetera, in a variety of different ways. What are the keys, you know, especially as someone that, you know, doesn't have 20 years of situational knowledge and experience in business that regardless of whether I was a good coach or bad coach or whatever, you know, it's hard to catch up to those 20 years, especially someone who, you know, has a podcast and a book, shit you don't learn in college. Uh, I've been in, out of college a lot longer than you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and with the perspective of learning shit. Yeah. Right. That's my whole gear is to be more yeah. interested than interesting. So, you know, what are the keys? Because it has to be beyond experience or else everyone that's 53 years old would be a great business coach. Yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting because you can go through life and you can do the same thing over and over again and not learn from it. Right. And I see that with a lot of people. I see a lot of people go through life and they, they you know, rehabilitate the same thing that they've done in their past. You know, they're just taking the building blocks from the past houses that they've built that have crumbled and then they're rebuilding new houses with them and then they crumble and they keep moving. And they forward. wonder why they crumble, right? Yeah. And they wonder why, right? They have no idea why. It's so great. Um, so <laughs> I keep paying attention and giving attention to the exact same thing. And the same coincidences keep occurring. They have yeah. different faces and different numbers tied to them. It's, but it's amazing. I don't know why, Mr. Thing. Meltzer. Huh. Well, we have, you know, I, I love, um, I have a, I have a client of mine right now who's a women's relationship and intimacy coach. And one of the things that she talks about is like, you know, whether you're a guy or a girl, like we've all been through a breakup, right? Everybody, you've been sure. through a breakup, right? Like yeah, yeah. everybody's been through a breakup and it is traumatic. I don't care, you know, who you are, what you do, like it hurts. Right. And the reality is if you take all of your beliefs from that past relationship and you take, like we talked about those same bricks and bring it into the next relationship, there's no way it's going to work. 
right? The jealousy, the, the, you know, the, the bad habits, not opening up because you're afraid of being hurt. How about the need to be right, offended, separate, superior, anxious, frustrated, guilty, resentful. Yeah. A few of those things maybe. And so, so most, those sound like good bricks. Yeah. yeah, Sound like great bricks. (laughs) Most people never take the time to do the hard work and actually sit in the crap and, and learn from it. Like go reflect, review why you did the things that you did and become a different person. Right. Most people don't focus on becoming something different. They focus on, you know, I just want something different rather than actually becoming the person that deserves that. But to do that, you have to go sit in the mistakes. You have to go get friendly with all the things that you frankly fucked up. Right. Right. Like you have to go get friendly with it. Otherwise, you're never going to change in the future. Yeah. I always tell people there's four keys uh, to that learning process. One being gratitude, you need to change your perspective. Two being forgiveness, yeah. that you have to find peace by learning the lessons. Three, accountability allows you to be in control of attracting it in your life, which gives you the capability of learning from it. And then finally, effectively communicating, not just you know with others, but with yourself and the source that we're connected to and yeah. through that omniscient, all-powerful source that allows us to do that. But one of the areas that you and I share as well. I mean, we, I'm surprised we're not, I know we're 20 years apart, but surprised we're not best friends already because- We're uh, getting there, we're getting there, man. <laughs> your, one of your favorite things is sales, yeah. right? And I believe in articulating quantitative value to exceed what I'm asking for and teaching people math and how to articulate the math. Uh, you also have an affinity for sales and a value of sales. I was, you know, would love for you to share with me why you love sales and what the value of sales is in someone's life, regardless of whether they're at the, you know, Fletcher Jones uh, lot Car or Keller, or, yeah. Keller Williams or, you know, selling yachts. Uh, you know, tell me how integral sales is in life and what the value of it is. Well, sales, sales is the tool for accomplishing anything in life, I think. Um, you know, sales gets a really bad rap. The thing that I always tell people is sales, sales is just a tool, right? And frankly, I think sales and leadership are actually the same thing. If you think of it, if you boil them both down, like sales and leadership are both about influencing others to take action, right? Yet leadership, everybody wants to be a leader. Nobody wants to be a salesperson. But if you think of, if you think about it, like, let's think about who was one of the top leaders in the last century, Hitler. Yeah. Terrible person, but crazy good leader, right? Who was also one of the best salespeople of the last century? Martin Luther King. He sold an entire, the entire world on a new idea, right? So sales, sales and leadership, when you boil them both down, are all about influencing others. Whether they're used for good or bad is up to the person, right? Yeah. You know, what's so interesting about that is, you know, sales to me, is the same as leadership and the respect that you need to be an intelligent follower. Meaning I could create an open-ended question guide, an open-ended minded guide. Uh, I've actually, because of social media, even shifted the way that I teach selling and empower people to sell because when you had a closed environment, one that doesn't have a viral nature to it, like, like social media, then you had to find a particular avatar Mm -hmm. and there was more convincing that sharing a vision, uh, but today I, I, I have completely shifted to only wanting to talk to open minds and find out through open-ended questions, 
are you a sponsor of mine? Meaning, do you know someone that can help me? Or are you a power sponsor of mine? Meaning, you can help me and you know someone that can help yeah. me. Because the numbers exponentially are both mathematically so far in your favor, but two, energetically, considering it takes a thousand times the effort to convince, even though I'm really good at it, to convince a closed <laughs> mind, it, to convince a closed mind that it does an open to mind. To find an open one. So mathematics yeah. and energetics play a key role. 100%. For you, you know, looking at my philosophy of as an intelligent follower as being salesman, which can be applied to Hitler and Martin Luther King, who are great, intelligent followers. They were looking for what people, and it can be said about politics today, the best politicians in America aren't speaking to people. They know what people are listening for. Yes. And you can't know that without an open-ended question. Yeah. Uh, or a lot of data. Yeah. That has asked open-ended questions. So for you, how has, in your experience, that shift in the paradigm, uh, you know, played a key role in being a leader. I think I think that's, you know, I think that's hugely important to point out. And I think the reality is, as as any salesman, we need to be responsive to what people are really looking for. And any leader, you need to be responsive to what people really need, right? So you have to be asking the open-ended questions to really get a deeper understanding of that. And in the end, if you are, whether you're selling or you're leading, if you're doing it from a heart-centered place, the reason that you're doing it is to help the world. And it's to help people, right? And so being able to ask that question and understand what people really want, what people really need is going to be how you actually lead them. So you have to leverage that. And when you're coaching people in business coaching, yeah. I'm always surprised how many people don't listen. Yeah. Like, I mean, like still yeah. today, and, and I have a wait list for people to work with me, you know, and it, it just amazes me as I sit there with people waiting to work with me, I'll get on the phone and... Uh, I, I, you know, section off, I have a 520, well, five minute phone calls, 20 minute meetings, yeah. interviews and, and, uh, coaching calls. Uh, and I sit there and I'm like, do you want to learn or am I a therapist where you just want to get something off just your chest? Just want to vent. Yeah, yeah. Right. And so, and then if I do give sage advice, most of it, which I then, when I give sage advice, I end up rewatching my own or re-listening to my own or writing it down going, Hey, dummy, that's a really good idea. You should implement that yourself. <laughs> so I know by the tone of your laugh that that's, you that's how you know it's good advice. When well, that's you have why to go, I'm so successful. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. because I give other people well, think, advice and then I take one, my own advice. One of the things I think that people forget is like, just because you're a coach, that doesn't mean that you're not constantly learning at the same Downloading, time. Downloading, right? Right. Like I'll go back and I'll watch some of my old programs and I'm like, damn, that's really good. Yeah. Oh, that's me on the screen. Like right. maybe I should pay attention a little bit more and actually keep, What's that cobblers, keep mastering cobblers this stuff. Cobblers kids have no shoes. You mentioned it earlier yeah. <laughs> yep. about whatever we were talking about, right? The cobblers kids have no yep. shoes. It's, I'm going to do a training on the cobblers kids have no shoes because this is indicative of everyone in the world. It's like, yeah. do as I say, not as I do. Absolutely. Like doctors smoking and sitting outside of mothers in New Orleans. Yeah, it's a lot easier to give advice than it is to actually take, implement it, it. take it and implement it. Yeah. yeah. So what, why do you think it is though that you know, and I know this is true about your clients, the majority of them are not, you know, taking what you say and implementing it. So I think this goes right back to what, what we were just talking about. So do you know how, how much of your brain is your subconscious mind? How, what how percentage? Much? Like what percentage? Yeah. I think it's very little. So your subconscious is yeah. very high. Oh, it's higher. So subconscious conscious is, actually, is very little, 10% or something. Conscious brain, most of the science is showing somewhere between 2 to 5%. All right. So you're actually only 2 to 5% of a I person, believe that. Which is terrifying, 
right? That that ninety five percent of you is actually subconscious, animalistic. Oh, see, I thought that was unconscious. So I believe in unconscious. unconscious. Yeah, yeah, unconscious. Same, unconscious yeah, see, the yes. subconscious. So I I was told. T- 10,000 new thoughts come to the conscious and then four times that. So if that's two to 5%, then four times that would be subconscious because 40,000 of the same thoughts are hosted in the subconscious, which then programs, which would be, let's just say it's 20, 25, 75% would be unconscious. Here's here's what you're getting at, right? So whether it's 75% or 95%. Well, first of all, I got to break here because I always tell my listeners, here's the only statistic. A few are true. 100% of all (laughs) short putts don't go in. 100% of the things you do now get done. And 99% of all statistics are made up. So that, is that fair? I'm really glad that we went there. Yeah, that makes me happy. All right, good. 99% <laughs> of all statistics are made up. But regardless of percentage of the brain. Do some of your own Googling and you'll go find some exactly. stuff. Which yeah. those stats are probably still made up. Um, yeah. But yeah, so, so so let's go for a happy medium. 80%. Yeah. Okay, good. 80% of your brain is unconscious mind, right? So now imagine... You know, imagine you imagine you have this goal. You want to build a, a business, or you want a, you want that perfect partner, whatever it might be, right? And you've got let's call it twenty horses, right? These twenty horses are thoroughbred horses, and they're ready to run at your goals and like make shit happen. But those twenty horses are tied to eighty donkeys, You're right? And those eighty donkeys have been programmed throughout you know your life through society through culture to walk the other direction. They don't even have to run the other direction. They can just walk the other, they can just sit down. The 20 horses are never gonna get to your goals, right? So one of the first things that I tell everybody, you know, if you actually wanna be successful in life and accomplish the things, take the actions you need to take, the first thing that people need to do is they need to understand how to unprogram and reprogram their brain. This is, you know, this is a, a big reason why, um, you know, I think AJ struggled growing up because nobody gave him a user. Like, did you get a user's manual for your brain when you were no. younger? Like, no, nobody I gave got us a bunch one. of baggage. Yeah, like, <laughs> uh, like I got a user's manual for my TV. I got a user's manual for my new refrigerator even like, but I've never been given a user's manual for my brain. How does this thing work? How do my emotions work? How do I program this? Because the reality is that 80% or 95%, whatever it, may, whatever it is, is constantly being programmed like a supercomputer from everybody else around us. And until the moment that we take ownership over that, it's very, very difficult to change and do the things that you actually need to do to reach wherever it is you want to get to. Which is completely aligned with my philosophy of I am happy, I am healthy, I am wealthy, and I'm worthy. What am I doing to interfere with it? You know, no matter how fast you are, if I put in, you know, 50 pounds of weights in a backpack, yeah. Eventually, I'm going to pass you. Yeah. <laughs> no, no doubt. Yep. Right. No, no doubt. And then yep. it's the same thing I, you know, coach in, in football uh, because I learned this as a smaller athlete, which you seem to be aligned with my physical abilities. But I learned that my hands in tackle football were the most important things on defense, not just offense. Mm-hmm. And the reason was I realized whether you were Christian Okoya, you know, who I played against, who ran me over. It didn't matter. See, my mistake. If I get, if I got you right, if I can hold on to you, yeah. Forget hitting. I I could hit Christian Coyne ten need, out of I ten times. I didn't need to make you look stupid. He's not going to. I fall just need down. to hold on. Right. Yeah. yeah. I I did. I made the mistake of trying to tackle him. Yeah. Right. And lay into him, and I ended yeah. up on my back and him stepping <laughs> on me. But if I just would have, because I was fast enough, run up to him and hold on to his jersey. Yeah. And everyone else was running full speed. He'd he's, be in big trouble. He's not getting very far. And I teach my uh, players that and my son that especially. So hold on, you know, understand, 
you know, I, I prefer to say I got 20 sea biscuits. Those are my thoroughbreds. <laughs> That's what they look like. Uh, and I'm fine with sea biscuit. Yeah. Um, last thing, a lot sure. of people are in transition. A part of being a business coach is dealing with transition. Uh, whether, you know, I deal with athletes transitioning into, yeah. into business or college graduates into graduate school or graduate school into entrepreneurship. Um, finding the right role or job is one way of transitioning. Now, I would love to see your perspective on, you know, how do people know or find the right job or role, passion, purpose, or profitability in their life, activity they get paid for, yeah. uh, et cetera? So... Yeah. Uh, clarity, right? The, the answer comes back to, you know, Socrates says, know thyself, right? So I always kind of bring <laughs> so to Shakespeare to thine own self be true. Yeah. And he so, also says the whole world is our stage. So I'm a Shakespearean uh, practitioner now today. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's so true, right? I think the biggest problem is most of us have never taken the time to actually know thyself, right? We've never done, we've never put some intentional energy behind it. Um, you know, everybody, a lot of people have been told like, oh, it takes a lifetime to find purpose and passion and, and really learn what you're all about. And frankly, I think that's bullshit. Me too. I think that's, I think that's something fed to people by other people who have not put the time in. Right. And so what we've found is, you know, most of the people that we work with, we have a handful of clients. We have a handful of, um, uh, sorry, we have a handful of exercises that we give to our clients. It's critical questions. It's exercises that you can do. And I consider them like jigsaw puzzle pieces. Right. So you're not going to get full clarity of the whole jigsaw puzzle in, you know, a couple of weeks. But if you get enough jigsaw puzzle pieces by focused, having conversations with mentors, asking yourself what it is you really want to do, what really matters to you. And I'll give one of the exercises if we have a little bit of time. But um, when you put these piece, puzzle pieces together, you can get a pretty clear idea of, of what it is you want, what the jigsaw puzzle actually looks like. Now, if you're, you know, set in front of three options... You just go, okay, which one of these three looks the most like this puzzle? Let's move forward with this one for now. Go find some more puzzle pieces and get a little bit more clarity and you can make some more decisions from there, right? But really in the end, you got to focus on getting clarity first because you know, if you've just got your head down and you're just swimming forward, you could be swimming away from shore for the next two, five, 10 years before you come up for air and you're like, holy crap, that was a terrible decision. Right. I tell people all the time, know your what what you want, who yep. can help you, who you can help, how you're going to get it done, prioritized by what's most important according to the what, the who, and the how, then you can apply your why. See, yep. once you know the paradigm that you're already connected to and through that great source, you're not committing suicide, depressed, anxious, frustrated, guilty, yeah. angry. You're simply pursuing your potential and more importantly, enjoying the consistent, everyday, persistent pursuit of it. Because it's always um, going to be work, so you better damn enjoy it. Enjoy yeah, of it. course, man. Yeah. Faith's going to take you to a better place, a better position, but pain is going to push you there. It's not going to stop you. Setbacks and the failures, et cetera, are simply just indicators you have that lesson to learn, to grow, accelerate, and and, and expand. Uh, let's share that last exercise before we end this. Yeah. So what, what's a good exercise? That so one of the do? ones, this is one of the ones that actually got me to quit my corporate job at Cisco. Um, so basically, I call it my 20 things I love. Super simple, right? So literally just set aside maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes at most. Minimum. Minimum. <laughs> you, you write down 20 things you love to do. You don't think about it too much. Just 20 things that you love to do. For me, it might be, you know, I love hanging out with my wife. I love reading a good book. I love coaching my clients. I love traveling. I love a nice glass of tequila. Right? Which These kind? Are, sorry? Which kind? Oh, Casa Dragonis is one of my favorite. Nice. Yeah. Casa Dragonis fan. Have you ever tried... Uh, Classe Azul, yep. uh, but the pomegranate. No. La Pinta. 
Oh. Check it out. It's pomegranate infused tequila. You put a little soda in there, it opens up and sipping tequila I'll all take, day long. I'll take a look. La Pinta, sure. you and I will share it at my beach house. Fair enough, man. Um, so, yeah, so you go through this list 20 things that you love to do um, without thinking about it too much. Just rattle them off. After you go through the list, right next to the 20 things you love, put down why. So, here's where you start to evoke the critical thought, right? Why do I actually love to do this thing? So, I love to hang out with my wife because I love connection. I love feeling deep connection with people. Um, why do you love traveling? I love learning. I love growing. Why do you love to read a good book? I love learning. I love growing. Why do you love teaching clients? I love to serve and help others. So you'll start to write down this list of why you do these things that you do. And the goal here is what we're doing is we're shifting from a form to a function. And then as you go through these 20 things you love to do, you'll find, you know, we've done this with probably 1200 of our clients and uh, every time it will boil down to somewhere between three and five paradigms that run through your life. And for me, it was the first time I did this exercise, it was growth. So I love to grow. I love to learn. I love to grow. It was serving others. It was uh, connecting. So connecting with people, places, and things deeply. And the fourth one was being present and enjoying the moment. And those four things run through my life. And what we tell everybody is if you can build a life where 80% of your life you're living in those spaces, in those functions, you'll never be unhappy, right? Now, there's always going to be 20%. Minutes and moments, do, yeah. Yeah, there's always going to be some times where you're not in those moments, but the more that you can design a life that you are in those moments, you'll never be unhappy. And when I looked at that sheet, and this was at Cisco the first time I ever did this exercise, um, when I looked at that sheet, I was like, holy crap, I'm maybe 30% of the way there, and I will never get to 80% in this role, which meant I had to change. Good thing Cisco had you do that. Okay, <laughs> that one was on my terms. Oh, okay, good. Was I was gonna say terrible employee retention <laughs> by giving them applying the why exercise. <laughs> what a great uh, exercise to play in applying the why to the what, the who, and the how. And as you said, being present, doing it now. Xander Fryer, he is the CEO of High Impact Coaching, the host of Shit You Don't Learn in College, author and podcast. What an incredible journey it's been, my friend. I look forward to doing much, much more with you. You definitely understand far more than your years subscribe to. He is a genius. 